Hi, this is Thomas Brown from the Jakarta Development Network, and welcome to the first edition of the JDN podcast. In this podcast, we'll hear from our panel discussion on communications in development. The panel features Rebecca Lake, Patrick Sell, and On Hock Schwan, three communication specialists with extensive experience in Indonesia. In this talk, you will hear the panel discuss the important role that communications can play in the development sector and how development actors, no matter how tight their budget, can benefit from clever and strategic communication approaches. Um, so, as you obviously all know, we're here to talk about strategic communications and, um, you know, we will talk about communications in general, but particularly for the development sector. And I think one of the reasons why this panel came about is, um, I think it's, I could almost say there's a misunderstanding about communications and development and, and where, where we can use these kind of tools and, and what role communications actually plays in development. So that's why we decided to have this panel today because it's a, it's a great opportunity to kind of show everyone what the potential is when it comes to communications and, and really get down to the basics in a way. What does it take to have an effective um, communications plan for your organisation? And I think one of the challenges that we'll talk about today is there's just such an array of possibilities when it comes to communicating, especially in this digital age. We've got options at our fingertips, so it's a little bit hard to know where to look or, or what to do in the first place. So that's what we really want to talk about. We want to get down to the basics and think about what are the key strategic things that you could do as an organisation. And I hope that in these 30 minutes, we can jam-pack some tips and some insights that you can take away to your own organisations and, and begin implementing. So um, I guess without further ado, you've already had a great introduction to Patrick and Ong. Um, so I think I might just start with the first question. And um, we were talking about before how, how we should introduce this panel. And again, we go back to the basics. So what is communications? Do you want to start, Patrick? Sure. So um, the question, I guess, uh, the question actually we originally spoke about, which is what is communications in development rights? Yeah. And I think, um, by the way, before we start this, uh, me and Ong have semi-decided this is going to be an R-rated panel, so there will be swearing going on in this, all right? So just so you know, or I, I've decided wrong, but I hope this decided. I hope you're consent on this one. So I think what's really interesting that we were chatting about before is there's communications in development. Um, I think the really first the interesting thing to look in is about communications in general. And fundamentally, what is actually happening, as you really you succinctly spoke about, is that it's very messed up. Actually, marketers, people in the communication business are very confused because there are so many different channels out there. And essentially, we've been blindsided. We've got these, these bright, sparkly things that have gone there and actually got shone in our faces. So Facebook, Google, etc. And these sound fantastic and they go there and excite you. But actually, the core principles of marketing has been lost, which is actually frustrating because there is huge amounts of value in doing comms and marketing work, um, but we've lost that. And I think to your question of like, what is comms? That's more about saying actually, oh, a bigger question here. What is the purpose of comms? The purpose of comms is to go there and actually solve your communications objective. That's pretty much it. And then we can elaborate from that. So. Sounds good. So, okay. 
as you heard again, it's a, it's a broad issue. Um, on, maybe you want to elaborate, I guess we get a little bit provocative here, but what's the current landscape when it comes to communications? And then maybe you have some examples on um, some of the development clients you've worked with. What are the key issues? Okay, I, I think where the, develop, the communications landscape is this, is that brands, organizations uh, that used to be in power have actually died and they do not know it. They do not have control. Who has control is every one of you that has a smartphone. So the, the, the control actually has left brands and organizations and it's gone to the consumers, the people. So before, it was very acceptable, for instance, to blast advertising at them, uh, to preach to them, and to kind of like educate them. Now, it's not acceptable because you have control. And your attention span, some would argue, is less than a goldfish. So, if organizations want to communicate, first they have to be relevant. And how, do you be, how do you be relevant to people? You either are useful to them or you end up teeing the shit out of them. Yeah, I did the first swear word, right? So, you know, it, it's just, especially in social media, you're either entertaining or you're useful or you've got no business being there. And the question, I guess, is that where, well, development is concerned, are you useful to your audience or are you bloody entertaining to your audience? If you're none, why should the audience pay attention to you and do what you want them to do? This is, I guess, the second part of this is from a development perspective, right? I, I imagine, I always feel as a marketer that I'm a fucking asshole. You're like, you asshole, you are selling Coca-Cola. That is what you're doing. You're, you're going there and actually you're going there and selling things to people who don't want it, back to kind of what Ong was actually saying. Actually, what we're trying to do, not in the selling Coca-Cola part, actually what we're trying to do is to go there and, especially for us, is say how do we reinvigor the creative economy to go there and actually so that the creative industry can be strong, the media industry can be strong and do this type of stuff. But in the same process, what we look at and the way I've always looked at marketing, why I am a marketer is that um, when it comes to the likes of um, brands, Brands, as Ong said, once upon a time had a lot of money, and they still have a lot of money. And they are the people that pretty much, I would probably argue a little bit, that they do actually dictate consumerism. And I look at brands, consumerism, as something that needs to be hacked. It needs to be fixed. It needs to be changed. It needs to fundamentally be realigned. But when you... And so to understand that, you need to understand what is that beast of communication? Why is it that entertaining content? Why is it that informative content is winning? And fundamentally, this is where it gets down to this game of saying, if you don't understand that consumer, which is, which is what is driving them, which is what Coke will invest in, what Unilever and all these brands will invest huge amounts of money, if you don't understand what they're doing, 
you're basically just giving the game away. And they are going to outmaneuver you and outplay you and invest more money. And they may not do a great job of it, but they will spend more money and beat you. So as comms, as development people, you've got to go there and say, well, actually, what is my objective? What am I trying to achieve here? And if it's to have a meaningful impact on the majority of this population and for good, then you've got to learn the, t the tactics, the secrets, so that you can actually then make a real friggin' difference. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, and I think that's a good point. Like, especially in the development sector, especially in Jakarta, there's so many initiatives, there's so many efforts, and you know, I don't think it should be so much about competition, maybe so much in the consumer um, commercial sector, but what are the tactics that can make you stand out and make you relevant, again, to your audience? So we've just heard a lot about the problems and, and we've touched a little bit on what needs to be done, but perhaps we can start breaking it down. What is a good communication strategy and how do you go about it? Who wants to start with this one? Because I know Patrick's got a um, plan, but maybe you want to have something to bring in first. Um, strategy is, is, I think, a word that communicators love because it bamboozles everyone and say, what's a strategy, right? Uh, to me, it's, it's very simple. You got point A, which is where you are right now. So it's uh, taking into account of what you are, the challenges you face, etc. Point B is your objective. Where do you want to be? If you totally succeed with whatever you do, what would have changed? Would you have changed someone's behavior? Would you have you know, increased awareness on something? Would people appreciate it more? Would their attitudes change? That's point B. So how you get from point A to point B is your strategy. And it's as simple as that, but it's also very difficult to actually get right. And uh, you know, I, I work with a lot of young um, PR aspirants and it's amazing how difficult it is for people to do that. But that's what I would think strategy is. And, and you know, communications at the end of the day is a tool. As an organization in development, you want to achieve certain objectives. The question is, can you use communications to help you achieve that? And if you can, then these are the questions that you ask. What's point A? What's point B? How do you get there? And then the rest is just tactics and execution. So Patrick, maybe you want to elaborate more on how do we break it down? If this is so simple, why isn't it working? And what are the key simple steps? Do you want me to go to yeah, the slide? Go for it, go for it. So Ong just did a great overview of that. Um, and I, I literally was chatting to Beck earlier this afternoon and struggling on writing this slide for you guys because it, from a strategy perspective, it's so simple, strangely enough. But I guess, as Ong mentioned, it strangely gets complicated. So it starts with defining your objectives, which is where you are, where you're going to, as Ong mentioned. Um, and then it's going to say, actually, I'll talk about this in a second, but then it's actually going to come up with what actually is your communication objective or the strategy you want to achieve to make that happen. Create content which is actually to say that this is our idea, we're now going to go and then deliver on that. 
distribute that content on the best, most effective channel for your audience, which doesn't have to be Facebook. It can be different kind of forms of people. Measure, learn, and optimize, and basically get better over time and time and time again. Now, this, again, is like the funny thing about this is this is why I was struggling with this. Is that it's so ridiculously simple. It's like, oh, we're going to define the problem, come up with our idea, create content, distribute it, measure and optimize, but people struggle. And this is where it gets kind of frustrating. So you define the objectives. And actually, this is where it goes down to what I was, the first point I mentioned the last, in the last comment is that the objectives that actually that you're really trying to, you're asking yourself, like, are they even the right objectives? Are what you're trying to actually change in the, for your particular person, for, that, for the society, are they the right objectives? Like, if you impact, and this is, I, I understand development could be so, uh, it can suck you in to say, you know, I can go there and help one person. And you could spend all your time investing that person, but the efficiency of your time has kind of been lost. When you could also say that I could spend less time with that one person, at the same time work on with 10,000 10, people via a common strategy, change their lives fundamentally for the better. And, and that balance of, I understand how difficult that could be in a, from a communications or from a development perspective is. But actually setting that objective that's where you've got to really look at yourself and what you're trying to achieve and is your business or your, your organization is trying to achieve and how to make that happen. Now, making the communication strategy is pretty damn easy because everyone's got an idea and everyone's got a kind of point of view about that. So people don't really fuck that one up too much because you know, everyone is, we get that, we'll, we'll come up with an idea. It goes to creating content. Um, it goes to saying we're actually we're going to take this content and actually make this happen for many different reasons. Oh, we don't have budgets. Um, oh, we um, we we don't really like it, this is good enough, right? If we have this, uh, if we make this impact, it's strong enough to have the whole effect and teach people about who we are, build our reputation, drive them to go there and actually make a difference. It doesn't work that way, I'm afraid. Actually, we we underestimate this massively. Um, Distribution, again, for the majority of you, like, uh, I guess for you guys in the comms sector and the development sector, you probably shouldn't even really be looking at digital. Uh, you know, and I'm, I'm making huge sweeping generalizations here, but you probably shouldn't. Like, there's 100, 150 million people on digital and social media um, right now for Indonesia. You're probably not focusing on the people of Jabotech. You're probably focused on the people who are way, way outside, etc. And so you're probably saying newspaper, radio, community groups, like they're probably your key channels, but we don't focus on that. And we're not measuring at all. And to the, the honest truth about this is that I'm gonna make a real good guess is that like in two years time, the majority of you have gone to another post. And as a result, the things that took two years, three years to actually measure or even longer, you're not really gonna put in like process that place to even say, how do we then go back to the beginning? We lose that process and we, it, it goes round and round and round again. So we have these circles spinning again and happening. And again, it's like, simply put, it's that strategy, that's all these pieces. And we're frustrated, we're tired of this process happening, in, especially when it comes to dev. But this actually, and this is where I'm like, don't also worry some, or I worry about it, but get pissed off about it. But this is actually happening in the whole marketing industry, the whole communication industry. They're all struggling at this at the same rate and same speed. But it's frustrating. Um, so to strategy, that's how we would say strategy. So, do your very best to say, really, what is our objective? 
really actually how can we make how can we achieve that objective in different ways? I have a hypothesis how you can achieve that objective. Create content. I'll show you the next slide about this. Uh, create content, distribute it in an effective manner for your the person you're trying to reach, and go there and actually measure this measure uh, the work that you're doing. Let me go to the next slide as well. So this is something that like is simple tactics 101 now, all right? And this is kind of called um, when it comes to marketing. It's all about awareness. So who the hell am I? Um, they know that you exist. The next part, as Ong was saying, was interest, which is education. Desire is almost entertainment. It's basically saying, okay, um, I'm willing to learn more about you as a brand. Um, and actually, you know what? I'm willing to learn about you because it's interesting, compelling content. But also, um, at the same time, actually learn what it is you do. And finally, the last piece of content to actually go there and uh, have an take action to make people actually to go there and actually do what you're trying to originally in the last slide get them to do. And I say this because uh, I gave a really good workshop. I don't know if anyone's from, from Greenpeace is here, but I gave a, a workshop around about a year ago to Greenpeace. And fantastic people, like absolutely lovely like people and who do phenomenal work. And this was all about, I'm not sure who, who knows about this, it was about some of the, like, the work they were doing for Chilibon and about basically protesting coal. And the thing about this is they did a fantastic, uh, what are you gonna call it, grassroots activation campaign kind of piece of work. So they did this amazing piece of awareness campaign. And they invited the BBC, they invited Reuters, and they basically got a few people to kind of go there and actually write up about them. So in that area, they did an absolutely fantastic job. But actually what the purpose of them doing this was to try and go there and actually go all the way back to the end was to get and to change policy about coal. And the people who were changing policy about coal were in the government. And what happens in this kind of situation or actually what's going on with Greenpeace is that when it came to interest, which is actually the, the question here is why the hell is coal bad? Nobody was creating content to say why is coal bad? So these people are like, okay, Greenpeace is going there and hijacking a ship. There's no content that I can find that's saying why is coal bad and why actually they are hijacking the ship. And they haven't gone there and actually said, what are we trying to achieve by hijacking the ship? They hadn't created a site saying, petition this minister, send him an email, send him a letter, call him up and tell him to go there and stop coal. They hadn't done this. They, don't get me wrong, they created a fantastic piece of awareness piece that got picked up by the media but they hadn't done these other areas of this. And as a result, the government, as they are, is their right to do, they went there and said, okay, so Greenpeace are basically saying that they're gonna stop a ship, therefore they are terrorists, therefore they are people who are actually slowing down the economy, and they can easily spin this into a tale to say Greenpeace uh, is basically slowing Indonesia down from a development or country development perspective. Therefore, they are against this. So I go back to this kind of piece about um, changing brands, understanding brands, understanding the government that you're going against and the people you're going to change all the, the policy machines on this. You're making it too easy. If you don't get involved in communications, you're basically going there and doing this snazzy thing that has a 
great impact in the very short term, but everything else goes to waste. You're because they can spin it on you and they can turn it around on you because you haven't covered your bases and you haven't done the 101 stuff that actually makes an impact. And that is what is hella frustrating. <laughs> um, and why it's so simple, this stuff, but it really will help to go there and fix some of those problems on that. Thanks so much, Patrick. I'll leave this slide up for a little bit if people want to kind of reference it. And I think the green piece, it was a really good example. I think it helps add context to why a strategy is important. And before I ask Ong if he has a good example, um, I have a really simple one, and it's to do with the Forum Kalapasawit Berkelanjutan, Indonesia, which I think quite a lot of you might know about. Um, it's a it's a palm oil platform, and it's supposed to be led by it is led by the government. But when we started, when I first came, um, and it was the UNDP is supporting it, so they had called it the Indonesia Palm Oil Platform, and we had a serious problem because we were trying to claim that this platform was led by the government and our target audience was the government, yet a lot of the people we were targeting, especially in rural areas, don't speak English. And how are they supposed to lead a platform that is, the title is in English? Who are we actually targeting? When we changed the title, Forum Kalapasawit Berkelanjutan Indonesia, everyone in the government was like, oh, we get it, after two years. So, I don't know, I think that's quite a, a simple example, but it shows you just like really considering who your audience are and what the objective is can make a huge difference. Do you have a good example, Ong? I do, except that I was told that I cannot mention the NGO because they want to be under the radar on this thing. They want to get it effective, but they can't seem to be involved. But I'll tell you the principles involved. They are involved in, in trying to change policy that a lot of sectors, especially in rural Indonesia, do not want change. Because if that change comes, then a lot of opportunities for corruption go away. Right? So, sounds familiar with most of you guys, right? So, now, what they wanted to do was to explain why this initiative had to be done. But we said, look, that's the wrong way. You do not appeal to logic. Human beings, right? We all think that human beings are logical creatures. They are not. They, you know, if you read Daniel Kahneman, Fast Thinking, Slow Thinking, we all go by heuristics, we all go by emotions, right? As there's this reptilian brain which processes emotions. You get through that filter, you start talking to me. You don't get through that filter, talk to the hand, right? So basically, the whole thing is this, is that what we did was with them, is that we transformed it into something very simple, very tangible, and very emotional, right? It involves some videos that can be uploaded and shown in, in this uh, laya in, in kampongs. So basically, the whole thing about, about, I think, communications and development sector is that very often people make the assumption that if you can only explain to them, if they can only understand what this problem is about, they would change. I don't think they would. The other assumption that a lot of us make, uh, and, and this is borne out by something called design thinking, is that we assume that people are very highly motivated. 
So if you tell them something, they would go and do something fairly difficult because they've seen the light. Truth, people are very lowly motivated most of the time. So you've got to make the tasks very simple. Task. Then they are incentivized to make a harder task. And unless you can boil down the communications to that, I think it is very hard to get a very successful uh, communication. Thanks. I mean, if you don't want to add anything more on the strategy side of things, Patrick. Um. Again, like to Ong's point, right? So what he's saying is that they did a great, like what he's saying is that if you just do this, people are not going to jump to that. That's it. That's all he's saying. And it's so friggin' obvious when you realize that you just got to literally be like, this goes to this, goes to this. And to the simple point of saying, this is what we're trying to do. As a next step, we would like you to do this. If you do that, we, we, we've put these links on our websites for our clients, and they get 15% of people will click through. And I'm not joking you, like 80, 90% of clients forget to put the friggin' link. So that you're literally like, what do I do next after this? What am I trying to achieve out of that? Which is just to move them down the funnel and to another, hopefully, piece of content or a story or whatever you want to say. So with a little bit more time to go, um, not too much, don't want to bore you or anything, um, maybe it'd be great to touch a little bit more on these tools. So once you've got this solid strategy, you've really considered your objectives and you know what your goal is, you know what the action is that you want people to take, um, there's a lot, an array of different tools and not all of them are suited to whatever it is that you're trying to do. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about media, especially because we've got Ong here and he has an amazing background um, in journalism, um, which you've brought into the PR industry. Um, and from personal experience, I know that, you know, at the UNDP, I'm often asked, oh, we've got to write an op-ed on this. Um, we've just got to get it published and, and people will know what we're talking about. They'll know what side we're taking. Um, so I'd really like Ong to kind of elaborate on that and talk about media and, and explain how do we actually use this tool and when is it important? Well, media is depressing, right? Uh, Compass, the biggest media group, they've closed a lot of magazines and, and Bola and all that. Femina is in deep trouble, even Femina, you know, bastion of womanhood in Indonesia. They are in deep financial trouble. All the publications are in deep financial trouble. A lot of them have closed down. Uh, then you've got, say, people like Jakarta Post, deep financial straits uh, to the point that they cannot hire a decent copy editor. So my hobby now is to look at the headlines and go, oh, how bad, right? Uh, so basically what's happened, so newspapers are closing down very few reporters are left. If you look at the foreign correspondent scene, very few foreign correspondents are there. There's only stringers. Usually after college, they come, they're willing to work for cheap, not necessarily experienced, not necessarily knowledgeable, but these are your new gatekeepers. So then you say, well, why deal with the media at all? Now, with the conventional media, you need to deal with them because they still give you a certain credibility and legitimacy. To see it in print gives you that. Plus, all the bapa bapa that you deal with in the government read newspapers, right? So they look at it. I mean, 
an extent of how important it is still is that we have a media monitoring department that monitors over 200 publications with about 25 people there that's churning out reports after reports every day. And, and we monitor 200 over publications for our clients. And that's how important it is, the, the conventional media. Of course, then, there is now, a lot of them are not making money with print, so they're moving online. Except that they're not finding the money online as well. Uh, a lot of money is probably going to the YouTubers and, you know, and, and bloggers and all that that Patrick deals with. Right? So, but that whole, that whole area is, is very complicated uh, because you have your, your, your bloggers, your influencers, your KOLs, and then you've got the media abal abal, right? Which is all nonsense media. Three people get together, they set up a website, uh, call it something like kawensiri.com, <laughs> right? Uh, you get all this stuff, right? Um, so there's a lot of this. And then, of course, you've heard of Saracen that, you know, had all these thousands of accounts and the campaign against Ahok. Fake news has got a new dimension in, in Indonesia. So what we find in social media is that there is a lot of noise, but very little signal. If thetake.com or compass.com wrote something, you would see a lot of retweets but no comments. So what does that mean? To me, to us, we say that means nothing. So you've got to be very careful in a sense as to whether to move into social media or not. Uh, as Patrick said just now, if you're talking to people in kampongs and out in the propinsi, are they looking at social media? Do you know, for instance, that there is, I don't know the exact figure now, but it's probably around 30%. 30% of Facebook users do not access Facebook with a smartphone. You go, what? Yes, they access it through a feature phone, through SMS. This is the kind of phenomenon that you deal with when you get out of Jakarta, get out of the big cities. It's a whole different world. So you got to look and say, well, how do I connect with them? And what are the channels that are effective? And speaking of social media, I forgot, but the Jakarta Development Network launched its uh, Twitter account a few hours ago. And <laughs> yes, so please, please follow because I think it, um, it, it reaches our objective. I mean, Jakarta is the Twitter capital of the world. So really, let's show that. And um, maybe we can get 100 followers by the end of the night. But do, do, um, do tweet some things about this panel. And I think we've got a hashtag running, which is just hashtag JDN. Um, I just have one quick last question on the media. Um, okay, so if you decided that media is useful for whatever you're doing, whatever your organization's trying to achieve, how do you actually engage the journalists? Do you just send a press release on? Okay, for us, it's karaoke and durians, <laughs> right? Um, okay, journalists are like, are like you and I. We're all human beings. Believe it or not, journalists are human beings. They like feeling appreciated, especially in Indonesia. You know, this pendekatan is very important, right? So, consider the life of a journalist. You all don't want to talk to them. If they call you up, you say, sorry, no comment, right? 
But the only time that you want to talk to them is when you want to launch a, a, a project that nobody understands, right? And then you call them and you expect to use them because you expect them to carry the news. So the journalist is over there, well, you know, screw these guys, you know. When they need me, they call me. They don't need me, they don't talk to me. So relationship with the media is exceptionally important, especially Indonesian media, because especially the junior ones, there's a huge turnover, right? So you, you need to do this as a continuous exercise. So what we do, for instance, is that we discovered that a lot of them love karaoke. So we do this contest, we call it My Voice. And, uh, you know, we, we have elimination rounds. It's all on, on social media because journalists are all on social media. And there's a fi finale where we get about 100 odd reporters coming and then they all have a good time. And that's it. We don't expect them to report. We just expect, you know, to have a good time with them. They have a good time. The other thing we do is that durian season, we say, okay, right, let's have a durian party. Invite them. Again, you know, easily you get 80 to 100 journalists coming. And that's it. You just sit down, you have a nice chat, crack a few jokes, eat lots of durian, and offend everyone the next day. But, uh, but that's how you build that relationship. And in Indonesia, I think this is exceptionally important. You don't have a relationship with them, and they can make life difficult, or at least ignore you. I'd probably add, uh, I think that does, durians and karaoke is a great way from an entertainment perspective to kind of fit one of these ones. From something we do when we run our own events is actually we make them uh, media partners. We make them special kind of guests on the events we're doing there, and they have exclusive access to report on it. And Actually, what we're really doing is we're just kind of creating good content for them to then so they can exclusively do their job for. And we've been doing this now for the last year and a half. And just they look at it saying, well, actually, this is a company who's giving, feeding me interesting, good, relevant stories that is meaty. So you may look at this and say, well, in my the organization, what I'm like, the, the goals I'm trying to achieve, like who actually would be these publications that I could partner with in a more substantial way to have, a, you know, a, is this something we can join together? And it doesn't probably won't be the likes of a Compass or a Detic or a Tempo who have kind of their standards to uphold, but you can go there and say, okay, we are all about abortion, okay, or all about kind of like. Therefore, we're going to work with some of the female publications who really take a stand on this and then say, well, actually, can we like, partner with you on these different elements to make it happen? And for a big, we found success in that. We do it from marketing, but I'm pretty sure there's other journalists out there who just want to be actually having an interesting story with, this, with an event, with money behind it that, that you want to make it happen. I mean, I think, I think I'm halfway between a former journalist and now in the communication sector. I think I've spent equally the same amount of time and it's, it's a little bit disappointing actually the relationship between the media and the development sector there's definitely hostility and I think it comes through misunderstanding there's actually a lot that we could do to support each other and I understand PR versus the media like there's a role for each but at the same time when you consider a, an issue like climate change everyone is so confused about that and it's something we should have got right right from the beginning and, you know, when you think about the development sector, 
you guys, we produce studies and we produce all of these important statistics and material so we can find a way to engage the media and support them with that kind of content, then we actually are working together towards a common agenda, um, in a way. Um, last question. So we've got this um, strategy all together, everything's clear. We know if we're going to work with the media or not. We know we're going to build a relationship. I think you mentioned this before, Patrick. Uh, the common issue is they say, well, we don't have any money. Like, we're an NGO. We're in the development sector. Like, how are we supposed to invest in this? And is it even important? Like, we, we need to spend the money out in the field. What do you say to that? And how can pe people be creative about finding resources? So, yeah. Budget issues, I'm afraid, is not an issue you can raise up these days anymore. Because if we're going back to Greenpeace now, what am I talking about when it comes to a, uh, a video or uh, even an article which talks about coal? Um, this is something that's going to cost you. If you're getting a really well done article written, a million, two million rupiah for a good journalist to actually go there and give you a pretty good breakdown of what is the problem. If you're told you want to turn that into a nice video, speak to Nadia, but also like speak to us. But it's like 10, 15 million for a very simple, like this is the problem with coal. And if you do it, then literally your problem is like, from SEO perspective, from a search perspective, like the question they will type in, I can pretty much guarantee you that no, the, the, like the quality of content out there about that is very poor right now. I. I'll challenge you, the majority of you right now, or in the next like 24 hours, go there right now and go to Google, translate your, you know, the key term that you want to know. So let's say, what is abortion? And see kind of what is coming up on top, top of those ranks and who is actually scoring there. And for the price of uh, a million or two million rupees, could you actually be the ones that can help give like an informative piece of content in that regard. And we're not talking crazy money here. We're just talking making sure you're just thinking about all these different questions they will have. And then, again, have a call to action. So once you were saying, oh, you want to, this is what abortion is. Do you now want to kind of learn about these other things? Off we go and you're down that rabbit hole and you're letting them kind of find their own way, et cetera. And you can say, actually, you know what? Um, okay. There's no way, like, what is an abortion? That is something that is um, so competitive from a media perspective. You say, okay, well, therefore we need to either A, work with an influencer or a media and partner with them saying, okay, we're going to do a series of something that believe about this and use their clouts, their reputation to actually help you get that message up there and the, the call to action there. Um, that's how you do it. And budget is not an issue anymore. I'm sorry, but it's like you can't blame it because the price of content, unfortunately, I say this unfortunately, it's something we believe in actually helping creators make a living creating content. It's not as expensive as it, you think it is, and there's no more excuses. But it also still costs money. <laughs> I'm just thinking about like, you know, a lot of the time, I mean, I understand it's not expensive, but also, you know, I might have um, a manager who says, comes to me and says, but what percentage of our budget do we need to invest? Like, do you have any guidance on that? It's a hard one to... Are you talking, so are you, are you talking percentage in terms of the whole spending from an organization, or are you talking from just from a comms budget? Um, I'm talking, yeah, from a whole budget perspective. Like, I, I, 
Okay. Comms is not very expensive. We don't have to invest in it. Like, um, while it, it doesn't cost much to create a piece of content, it's important to devote funds towards, right? That's a, it's a hard question because, again, different industries, different sizes will really vary. Uh, let's say, for example, maybe to make this easy and clear. So I'm, we're a startup. Um, not that many people know about us, uh, though we're getting more awareness. Um, the startup rules dictate that I should be pretty much spending 50% to 250% of my monthly revenue just on uh, comms and marketing and, and sales elements of that. So essentially, in your terminology, it would be actually saying that anywhere between 50%, because again, I would say that your issues are under, no, under not that many people know about it, you probably should be spending 50% plus of your budget on the communication alone if not more than that, to actually go there and to get the message out there. Because otherwise, it's gonna like, yeah, then it's back to this first thing I said, is that you'll help 10, 100 people, but the other 10,000 people who you can actually go there and actually like give them that, that lifeline, they won't know about what even is happening and they won't even reach out and kind of find you. So I would say probably even for you guys, 50 to 100%, I think, I don't know if you know stat, but... Thanks. But, you know, also visibility brings in money too. Like, if you're concerned about donor money, which is obviously a big concern for a lot of people, if you're not visible, if donors don't understand what you're doing, then you're not going to get any more investment. Um, I'll just give it to you, Ong, before we go to the audience. Um, I just wanted to give you a chance to explain maybe what you're doing at Maverick with NGOs. Um, I think it was Catalyst, you said? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, we run... Any of you are from uh, local NGO? No, no local NGO. Uh, local NGO. Okay, you're eligible for this program. We we run Catalyst uh, because we realize that a lot of NGOs do good work, uh, but they are actually very bad communicators a lot of times. So we said, okay, what could we do for the community at large? We don't have lots of money. So we can share our expertise. So we do this every quarter. It's a program called Catalyst. People can sign up. And we would run one-day workshops on how they can use communications to greater effectiveness. It may be a certain aspect of it, like you know, how to do fundraising using communications, or you know, how, how to get, use social media, for instance. So we do that with, uh, with the local ones. Uh, we haven't done it with international NGOs because our perception is that you guys have a lot of money, just don't want to spend it on communications. <laughs> but, uh, but, okay, if you're an international NGO and there's no money, really, communications is not really rocket science, right? There's a plot in my office that I stole the, the words from Harold uh, Evans, the editor of the Times of London. And it just says something very simple, which is what we do at heart. Make anything complex sound simple. Make anything simple sound important. If it's not simple and important, in other words, it's relevant to your audience, you're not going to connect with them. So really, I mean, I think you guys, a lot of you guys are smart guys. You can figure it out. Just follow that dictum. Make anything complex sound simple. 
make anything simple sound important. And you could actually figure out how best to communicate. The, the problem in the development sector is that sometimes they make something simple sound totally complex, right? And, and that bamboozles everybody. One last thing I would say about this is, please just start. Like, when you, people have this, uh, I know this, we're, we're a company that sells marketing like solutions. People have this kind of belief that you need to go there and from day one be the very best in the whole industry, etc. And actually, you don't. You just need to be doing one small little test and going there and saying, my business objective is this. I think I'm going to solve it this way. I'm going to try and do my best to measure the outcome. And you say, oh, you know, I'm going to spend like uh, 10 million rupee on this. And I'm going to go there and after a month see that actually that gave me uh, 2,000 people looking at that. OK, interesting. Like 2,000 people looking at that. The price of that, therefore, is a CPV cost per view of 200 rupee per person doing that. OK, interesting. I now go back to my boss and say, hey, boss. This was 200 rupiah. Um, I think if you know you give me not 10 million but 15 million, I can maybe I'll get 3,000 people looking at this. And that'd be fantastic. And just start small, small tests. And you mentioned something like design thinking, which is literally just what I was showing back there. It's just that process. Start small and just show that numbers, those results, and just ramp it up and up and up and up. And it doesn't have to be this. Okay, we need $100,000 to go there and just kind of like, you know, take off the. It doesn't need to be that. It can be so small, but as long as you're testing it, you have this evidence proof and you just go from there. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. But like, I think we started this panel saying there's a misunderstanding with communication. So if you can prove it to the people you work with, this is what you're going to get out of it if you invest just a small little amount. Imagine if you invest tiny little more increment. Imagine if you invest a little bit more and it just develops that way. So I think we've taken way over time, the 30 minutes that I promised. So I understand if you want to get chatting, um, but if there's any questions, we have a little bit of time for questions. Um, does anyone want to ask these guys anything, um, anything that kind of stood out or you want to follow up on? Jandri? So I was really fascinated with the example you gave of Greenpeace because I am an ex-Greenpeacer, uh, but in India. And in India, we let the message control us and got completely decimated, uh, kind of with the government controlling all of the perception publicly about what Greenpeace was as an organization. And uh, I used to work for the nuclear campaign, so it was the standard message of this organization is against India's development and India's growth. So my question really is about how do you recover from that? Because you as an organization are aware that your cause is worth fighting for. It is important information that needs to be communicated to the public. Um, but you've got this message that's now controlling your campaign. So how do you recover? Um, I think... So I have friends who work at Greenpeace China, uh, and I think one of the things they, were, they did a really good job of is actually just writing and building a blog. And the th and again, a blog is like, oh, like 101. The thing about this is that the government have so many battles to fight. Greenpeace is definitely on their radar as this one individual item, 
But this is something that you can literally go to them day after 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 day and keep on going there and actually reiterating that message so then explaining what it is you're doing. So A, just work out exactly what are they repositioning on, which is, I would imagine, what is nuclear? And actually, what is Greenpeace's role in this and trying to do this? And B, you just go there and keep on repeating that message again and again and again, because they will lose, they have to lose, they, they don't have time to fight you every single day on that. So yes, it's going to be initially frustrating, but you'll just grind them down. And that's the only way I would suggest doing that. And same for all of you out there. It's just, you don't need to win it today. That's, please understand this. This is not a like day one. This is a one year later we do this. And the thing, the reason why I mentioned Greenpeace uh, China is because again, they were getting bombarded in every single side of this. But this blog that they were writing is just literally communicating and trying their best to be a bridge blog and explain what's happening there. It ended up with like 100,000 plus kind of views happening. And it's just, it was being done by like two, three writers. That's all it takes. So just start and yeah, that's what I'd say. I think, I think when you deal with governments in China, India, Indonesia, they're not the most rational of people, right? And there's nothing, you know, when they're cornered, they will, they will raise the specter of nationalism. And it's very hard because at the end of the day, they control the institutions of power, they control the levers of power. So I don't think there's a, a, a cookie-cutter solution, but I would start to look at what commonalities there are because if you have no commonalities, there's no basis for agreement. But if you can have the commonalities and you stress the commonalities, like both of us want a certain good result from there, then you start building from there and, and I think you, know, you, you would have enough common ground to, to make peace. Uh, and very often that may involve appearing like you're giving ground to the government. Uh, that's the way it is. And these guys are not rational. I think the commonality is a, is a really good point. And I have another simple example from my work in palm oil. Um, I went in there really green, naive, foreign, you know, you can imagine, to the government. And I remember drafting a brochure and I mentioned the word deforestation. <laughs> well, that was my first week of work in the toilets crying because, you know, I had these bup, 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 and they were really mad at me. And, I, you know, of course... It took me a while to understand the context. And then we, again, found that common ground. Of course, at the UNDP, we're about development and we're about enabling good growth. And that's what the government wants to do as well, especially at the Ministry of Agriculture. So that's where we found the common, common ground and that's where we're working on sustainable development. Um, is there any other questions? Maybe, hang on, I'll come. Do you want me to come to you or it might be a bit hard? Hang on. Hello, my name is Leah Christiani. I work for a Center for Detention Studies. Uh, we have vision uh, that community-based correction uh, implement is implemented in Indonesia. But the condition right now is our society and also the government is so punitive, punitive and retributive. So it's hard to 
to to promote this uh, this program about community based correction and maybe you have an advice or uh, experience about the apa ya? <laughs> yeah. untuk untuk mengubah mindset uh, yang masih punitif karena mereka mereka kan masih bawa uh, the offenders sub, uh, should be punished should be jailed but we, we will uh, give the the other the other option uh, to untuk untuk mengatasi untuk mentreatment mereka soalnya uh, kondisi saat ini kan uh, overcrowding uh, penjara penuh dan kita membutuhkan strategi baru. Nah, uh, menurut narasumber uh, strategi apa yang tepat untuk ini? Pertama sih untuk uh, sebenarnya kami sudah um, memperkirakan untuk membangun awareness mereka untuk memberikan pendidikan kepada mereka uh, bahwa uh, ada pilihan lain selain penjara. Uh, tapi ini masih agak kesulitan, jadi minta saran. Okay, uh, just uh, if you are more comfortable in asking your questions in Bahasa Indonesia, please feel free. We'll uh, find a way to translate that for you. Thanks. You're okay. It sounds like a lot about changing behavior, and I'll let Patrick go for it. So, it sounds like you are. Come again. Ong is going to be really good on this, so I'll, I'll let him defer to this in a second. But it sounds like you know the problem you initially have right now is that nobody knows who you are and nobody knows what you're doing, etc. So again, I go back to this and say number one problem is to say what is your objective is to say well who the hell are we and what are we even trying to do here in terms of this issue and this point of view about that. So you say well actually. It's just there. And I would love to say that you're going to go all the way down to the likes of a government and say we're going to go there and change the nature of like this policy and change uh, the whole perception when it comes to incarceration, etc. But it's not going to happen at all today. So one is, what is your objective right now? Your objective is to go there and actually get awareness about you guys and what you're doing and actually the bigger mission purpose of that. And then it goes down to say, well, next question is saying, how do we do that in a creative way from communication standpoint way that, again, I don't know who your, um, your audience are. If it's the bigger public, you know, an idea that I would say is you go there and say, well, you think that these people are being unfairly treated in jails. How do you humanize them? How do you go there and actually say that these are real, these are your brothers, your, your fathers, your wives, your daughters, etc. How do you go there and actually literally put a face on that person? Is that the cheapest, most cost-effective way? Is, it's an Instagram account saying, click, 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 click. This is the story of this person. This is the story of this person, etc. And try and get people to pick it up. That's me going from there saying your objective is awareness. Your target audience is um, the likes of a the general public. Therefore, you have you need reach. You need mass awareness. You have no budget. Therefore, the cheapest thing you can do is create kind of simple stories around that. And you go from there to try and get awareness about this different issue initially, and you move down that funnel. And then you can start hammering on different issues about why what we're trying to achieve from articles, from your website, your, the collateral you're going to create. You start interviewing people in policy making, saying, 
what is going on with this different situation, and you move down that funnel and funnel and funnel. And so eventually you get to that point saying, we're trying to change this. How we do that? That's how I would do it as a, somebody with no money, and I'm going to guess limited resources right now. That's how I would start it from a very following that point of view. Uh, I don't have a definite answer for you, but I think some questions might help you focus on the problem at hand. The first question you ask is, who's your target audience? Is it the public? Why would the public matter? Or is it certain ministers? Or is it certain politicians? Or is it a certain political party? What is the target? right? And then you ask yourself, why aren't they buying into this? Now, if you can answer these questions, then the next task is to find ways to influence them. It may not be a huge communications program. It may be something as simple as, hey, go to an Arisan with the wife because the wife controls the minister. It may be something like that, right? The levers of power, you know, in a way, when, when you do something like that, you've got to understand the politics, the levers of power. Read Machiavelli, read Sun Tzu. This is what needs to be done. Because what you, you have to do is to be brutally focused on what you want to achieve, right? And if that requires you to do mass communications, then that's good. But otherwise, you know, there are some things that can be achieved without communicating to the world, without taking newspaper ads, without doing a press conference even, right? It all depends on... Who do you want to influence? What do you want them to do? What does it take for them to change their minds? Visa? I just wanted to add one last thing. Um, I think, again, that's really good advice on picking your audience. But what I found, particularly working in palm oil, sometimes it's really hard to know which audience to start with because it sounds like you could have a few different options. Um, so then it comes down to which stakeholders do you want to prioritise first if your resources are limited. Um, and then it goes on to what Patrick was saying is, is you know, having short-term goals as well. So think about who your allies, allies are in the beginning. Like who are your friends? Who, who could you get to champion this work? Who's the low-hanging fruit in the beginning? And then work your way up from there. Any other questions? Hi, thank you so much for uh, the talks. Uh, my name is Anga. I'm currently working with OECD. I'm actually want, want to touch upon a very important point that Rebecca has mentioned about how to translate the development product into a proper communication form. I'm just wondering, like, if you have any more uh, ideas to to be to talk about on that topic, because most of the time we actually produce. In development work, there's tons of jargons, tons of statistics, like a very unsexy product for public and as well for government. And in your work experience, can you share with us how do you try to unpack those documents and pack it into something that that is more, uh, you know, more people friendly per se? Yeah. I'll say something quickly from my experience. Um, I think it's an excellent question and it's something that I come up with all the time. And actually my first barrier is explaining to my team 
just because you understand it doesn't mean they don't do. So I think once you get across that, then you can start looking at the products. And it goes back again to showing them an example, like, okay, this brochure might look basic, but don't worry, let's see how our audience reacts to it. And then you can say, look, we had a lot more engagement with that compared to your you know, 200 page study. Why don't you think we should in try and invest in that again and see what else it brings? Normally what we do is we, we, we do what we call a 300-year-old exercise. We get people to imagine that they're talking to someone from 300 years ago, so 1700, Indo Indonesia 1700, and we get them to explain what an iWatch is, right? Try explaining to someone from 300 years ago what an iWatch is. All of a sudden they realize that they have to do several things. One is that they got to go into that world figure out what the audience understands or doesn't understand and explain it to their term, in their terms, right? The other thing is that you have to be very selective with your information. I think development people, because of you know, the science or pseudoscience background, want to be very comprehensive. It's like lawyers that write a sentence that lasts that long with 15 commas in it, right? Comprehensiveness is the enemy of excess, right? If your information is not accessible in the first place, doesn't matter how comprehensive, how much information you have, how important it is, nobody gives a flying F, right? Nobody's going to read you. Nobody's going to pay attention to you. So this is the enemy, I think, of a lot of development people. A, a, a wish to be so comprehensive in your information that you cover all the bases. You cannot. The mind does not process information that way. So it's to make it all sound, again, make anything complex sound simple, anything simple sound important. It's important if it's relevant to you. It's important if it addresses your needs, your fears, right? Uh, Anything else is superfluous. So the whole thing, again, is just to boil it down to what is most important and what is most important to your audience, not to you. This is the mistake that corporations and organizations do. You want to say what's important to you. Who cares, right? You know, I, I, I've, I, I media train people from banks and they tell, you know, one of their key messages is, We've been around for 200 years. Yeah, and that's why the government has got to bail you out, right? <laughs> but, you know, things like that, is, it's important for them, but it's not for the audience. The audience over there, okay, you've been around 200 years, so what? Big effing deal, right? So, you know, it, the whole thing is to be relevant and keep it simple and make it accessible rather than comprehensive. You guys are going to hate me for this, but I'm going to, to you, go and point back at this again and say that, okay, and this is kind of like what I'm saying as well, this can be used on both a high-level strategic level but also at a tactical level. And actually, Microsoft are f pretty, f let's not talk about other things, but Microsoft's pretty good. They used to be pretty good at this, actually making sure they're creating content in all different parts of that and what you're talking about. So from a purely ideation tactics standpoint, you say that right now you've got your action. And here, I don't know if you guys can't read this, but this basically says uh, low shareability, high, very high relevance. This is your white paper right now. This is your report that only about 
300 people need to actually read. But you go this up here and say, well, actually, what's the next piece of content we're trying to do is actually raise the bigger key elements of that. So what would that be? OK, that's going to be an, an, an interview that you can work with PR on if you want to, or work with the press on, about kind of those key elements and like parts of that, or even like an in-depth interview with the key proponents of that. Going back up to this interest phase, et cetera, um, again, people who always kind of starting to mention, like they're starting to care less about that core problem, but it's much more kind of top level, keep it simple, stupid stuff, saying actually now we're at the point saying, what's the bigger problems you're trying to solve? And up to here in the awareness part, saying, well, what is that key one factoid that fundamentally changes things that you can literally go there and put it in the center of a social media post if that's what you want, or on the middle of your website and say, this is the only thing that we really care about that you're kind of communicating back. You just go there and say, we have our white paper. We're probably missing out on our interviews, our case studies about this. We're missing out on kind of the other pieces. We're missing out on this like, website. We're missing out on the social media elements of this simple cut down part. But every single one of this is going to say, they find us here, the simple stuff, and it drives, 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 drives down to the people who are saying, actually, I want to download this report. We re release white papers ourselves. Uh, we literally track that says, this thing here gets 40,000 people uh, looking at that content. And by the time it gets all the way down to this piece, it's at 1,500. And it's just a funnel going all the way down. And you can literally see it go from click, 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 all the way through. So it's a funnel. And it's very possible to do that. So. Anyone else? Any other questions? Yeah. Hello, I'm Maria. I'm working for a Swedish government initiative right now for a communication officer. I want to ask Patrick about the communication strategy because, like, the communication strategy is sometimes it's like it's pretty hard to measure. Because in the development program, somehow we get influenced by the donor, like, you know, like donor drive and kind of stuff. So I want to ask you how to measure to not really be a donor site, and what do you think about it? So how do you not be donor-driven, basically? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, like... No, I was going to no, I mean, like, when, it, when you say donor-driven, do you mean, like, what? It, can you elaborate on the problem a bit more? Oh, so, it's like, the donor asks us to, you know, like, do this, this, this. They have their own objective. So, how to be, like, natural to, like, uh, uh, to give, like, communication product whatsoever is neutral. So, it's based on people, whatever. It I don't think your problem is the communications part and the measurement part. Your problem is the setting expectations part, right? Essentially, it's, it's a whole skill set. We could sit here for days talking about how do you manage clients, right? Well, my point is that if you actually manage the client the, 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 the donors expectations from the start then you would be very clear you would have an agreement this is what we're trying to achieve and then once you once you figure out what actually you want to achieve remember communications is a tool 
You want to do something, you use this tool to help you achieve this thing, right? So the measurement depends on what you want to achieve and whether you achieve that, right? Or let's say you want to get more, uh, more people participating in an event. Then you ask yourself, how will communications help you to do that? Then the measurement should be people that go to the event. Number one, is there more people that go to the event? Number two, is that people who go to the event, how did they know about that event? Right? So it depends. There, there is no measure. A, a lot of people use thing, stupid things like, uh, what do you call it, uh, advertising equivalent, uh, AVE, advertising value equivalent. These are totally wrong metrics. It, it's an advertising metric that has very little to do with communications. And these days, it's a bit more complicated because you've got to talk about PESO. Uh, paid, earn, shared, and own media. Uh, how do you, you know, sort of like, you, how do you trigger th this kind of conversations in paid, earn, shared, and own? So, again, it depends on where you want to go, what you want to achieve, the other thing that you need to do is also benchmark. Because let's say you do something and you get 50 media coverage, uh, 50 media items covering your event. Is that good? Is that bad? Who's to say? Of course, if you're the communications officer, you go to your boss and say, wow, we got 50. Fantastic. <laughs> right? And somebody that doesn't like you, 50, the bitch. <laughs> I could get 100. Right. So, so again, you know, it's it's benchmarking so that you could say, well, when we carried out something similar like that, we had 25 before. Now we've got 50. We're making progress. Right. Yeah, I think I think Ong nailed it at the end. It's it's if if I'm going to say your donors are kind of your, like almost acting like your boss in that regard, uh, what you have to do is one is that benchmarking process, saying actually we're going to run through a system where. We're going to benchmarking is basically results and looking at the results saying, did this achieve our objective? And two is actually come up with that hypothesis of what is that benchmark you're trying to achieve. I have some of my team sitting in the very back over there. And to give you an example of like one of the things that I'm asking them to do right now is to tell me how many people do I need in India to cover the whole market? And straight up here, like, they will not be able to answer this question correctly. And I'm not expecting them to do that, but all I'm expecting them to do is to A, go there and actually think about that strategy, which is the different place, and then come up with a reasonable estimate to say, okay, we need 100 people in India. And it may be the case that within six months, we realize that actually, shit, we need 400 people in India, but at least we benchmark it saying, this was our thinking on this, and we were wrong in these different places. However, donor, however, boss, we've learned this, and now we're gonna go back and do this all over again, et cetera. So benchmark and the hypothesis is start on that front, but just have it. Don't not have it, because otherwise you're lost in the water and you're out to sea and you just, you're, you're going nowhere. Um, I just had a quick comment. It definitely resonates with me. We do the same thing. And I'm, I'm guessing maybe part of what you're saying too is that I think there's been this history with donors that they just want to whack their logo on everything. And I, I don't know, like, I can't give you a clear answer to that, but something that I'm working on now is just working really closely with the donor if you can. You need to work with your team as well, but work with the donor and say, look, if you let me implement this strategy, you are going to get exposure, but you're gonna get it in the right way. 
you're not going to get it in a way that's going to offend the stakeholders or turn them off. Um, so I think the answer would be just to work closely with the donor and again show them the results of your work and explain it takes time. Yeah. And for everyone out here, can I just make a like a small recommendation because. I realized the development sector is incredibly competitive to go there and actually uh, get into. You know, you need a master's, you need a PhD, etc. I hear all the horror stories of this. All I would say is like, strangely enough, like as a former marketer myself and for the comms person myself, be nice to these people. Like they have this huge chip on their shoulder because they are selling Coca-Cola and they will more than happily go there and actually uh, sit down with you, give away workshops, literally teach you all this stuff because they want just a friend who can say, you know what, this weekend I helped out. No, I'm, I'm being dramatic, but like they just want to say, you know what, I, I actually, you know what, this is my friend, this is helping me because marketing is fantastic for them and teaching the skills, etc. but it is draining and it's tiring. So go there, find it, like adopt a marketing friend. That should be my charity. So adopt a comms friend, he'll make you kind of happy. So. Okay, we have time for one last question. Thank you for uh, the thought-provoking discussion. My name is Nanda. I'm working in a development project on sustainable fisheries and marine conservation. Um, I'm curious about your perspective on celebrity endorsement. <laughs> like uh, there are a number of NGOs um, using celebrities to help promote their causes. Uh, like WBF, they have uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, UNICEF with their own Angelina Jolie. Uh, as communication people working uh, in an NGO, is it advisable to uh, sort of doing uh, that approach? Are there uh, any risks <laughs> that we should uh, prepare to mitigate those risks? Uh, and do you have any like a, a good or bad practices of uh, doing celebrity endorsement that you could share to us? Uh, thank you. So in short, should you work with celebrities Hell yes, you should, because it's free awareness up to that point, etc. Yes, you know, go there and qualify them, make them relevant, understand what they're trying to do. But basically, yes, you should, because a celebrity essentially is, in my, I would say, more powerful than some of the media sources out there. And especially if you're trying to do this, like, just yes, do it. It's a free, like, I can qualify the the price of a celebrity. We have. Two and a half thousand influencers, celebrities ranked on the platform. You know, you're talking about 200 million rupiah is the price of some of these big name celebrities. So should you just for a post, right? So if they're going to go there and give you 10 posts, that's worth 2 billion rupiah. Uh, so should you do that from a media value perspective? Yes, you should. Now I'm going to pass this over to Ong, who's going to give you the... Uh, okay. Uh, celebrities, yes. Depending on what you want to do. Okay, I, I work for Oppo, right? My, my client, and they've been using celebrities to great effect. They are now number two Android in, in Indonesia. So they use celebrities to great effect, but there's also a downside as well, in a sense that in the lower end, they've got the market covered. Upper end, not so much, because people's perception is that, hey, cheap Chinese phone, why should I use it? I want my iPhone 8, you know, even though I pay, you know. 
six months salary for it, uh, I would still have an iPhone 8, gang si dong, right? So now, for them, uh, using those celebrities, Raisa and all that, it's great for, for the, the lower socioeconomic classes. But it's not going to cut eyes with people like you, because you would be more influenced by, say, Patrick using it, right? Uh, then, if Raisa use it, because you know that she's being bought. But it works. So again, it depends. People like Angela Jolie, etc., fantastic. You can get them. The, the amount of publicity you can get from there is great. The exposure is great. The downsides of celebrity is what if you get a Tiger Woods, right? What if you get a Justin Bieber? It can work against you tremendously. So the risks are there, but the rewards are there as well. So, you know, you, you need to make a, a decision call on that. You need to do due diligence and also to ask yourself, they are a celebrity, but are they the right celebrity? You know, is are you thinking the right celebrity for you, for instance? Right? So. I mean, you know, the UN uses celebrities all the time. Um, and I think this is really good advice. Just really think about your audience because you've got to be careful not to trivialize the message. Um, and then, you know, it's important that it's important that if you are communicating to the mass public and you do need to just get a simple message out there, they are an amazing vehicle to use to do that. But if it's something like palm oil again, we all remember Harrison Ford. And I'll leave it there, who came to Indonesia a couple of years ago. Okay, any other questions? One last one, okay. Yeah, thank you. Uh, my name is uh, Aldi. I'm from KPK, Komisi Pemberantasan Korupsi. Uh, currently, I'm working as a program coordinator for uh, uh, Deputy of Prevention, and I'm, I'm working on the development of communication strategy for uh, corruption prevention. Uh, my question is, uh, when your uh, brand of your organization becomes too powerful, for your communication pro uh, programs, how how uh, you deal with it, you know? Because I think uh, the strategy for, uh, the communication strategy for prevention has to be different from the brand uh, communication strategy of the organization itself, you know? Because uh, it's it's a different things. Uh, but I, I want to know what is your opinion about that, you know? Thank you. As Uncle Ben would say, with great power comes great responsibility. But uh, I think the KPK is doing a great job. Uh, I also know some people work with the KPK, and I think you guys have got a very good strategy because you guys are very forward-thinking in the sense that you're, you're dealing with people who deal with youth. So what, one of my friends is with the uh, Tolak Reklamasi movement. He's got tattoos up the wazoo. Right, and his, his appeal to the younger audience is there. And, and I think you guys have already got a great strategy in the sense that you're thinking ahead. Hey, the next generation, they're not going to read newspapers. They're not going to be influenced by old people. They're going to be influenced by younger guys, cool guys, guys with tattoos uh, that, you know, do rockabilly and things like that. So I think it's, it's great. Um, 
I think KPK, especially in the Indonesian context, uh, has got a great advantage because everyone knows that corruption is so bad here and KPK are the good guys. The only thing uh, I would say is that is to be very careful because sometimes when there's great power, arrogance sometimes seeps in. And if that happens, that would be very bad news for the KPK. But otherwise, I think you guys have got a good strategy. Carry on. So, again, like, I would say there's a lot more questions I could ask of this. But it, it sounds like, and if, the way I interpreted your question, was you were saying that actually we're doing good from a top-line perspective and doing that. You're thinking of head to say, well, actually, what happens when the world will start coming and starting to really look into you? And if I would put on my creative hat here, again, or my strategic creative hat here, what you've, you don't need to do this. You don't need to explain who Capicara is, but you need to go there and start actually showcasing and letting people look inside you to communicate transparency and communicate actually that you are people and, you are pe and who you are, why you're doing this, et cetera. And again, I, the, this is a tactic, this is not a strategy. This is going there and saying that, simply put, you need to, for people to think that you are real people and you need to have the people in the organization to feel that as a government body who's so involved in this process, you need to make it transparent and open. So at probably more so your counterparts, you need to be communicating every single last thing so that when somebody goes there and says, what does a cafe car can a person do every single day? They can go there and say, well, at 9 o'clock we do this, and 9.15 we do this, and 9.30 we do this, and 9.45 we do this. And when they look, go looking for those questions, you've already got all those questions laid out down to the very molecule of like, how do, do cafe car can do their tax returns? Oh, they do this, et cetera. And we do a fun day every Friday where we all count up our tax returns. And this is how we do it. You need to be doing that and thinking ahead. And again, the funny thing about that is that probably nobody's going to read it for a good long amount of time until they start wanting to kind of know, oh, wait a second. I wonder if Kapaka is even being transparent on their own side. Oh, wait a second, they're not. Wait a second. This is something we should look into. This is going to get bigger and it'll start snowballing. So just, just to add, uh, I don't know how far this is true, but this is anecdotal. Some of the perceptions about KPK that you know, if I were to do an audit, I would look at is whether people feel that it's been infiltrated by religious hardliners, uh, because there is a perception out there. There's talk out there, because you know, you've got people with beard like mine, right, and a bit dark in 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 the forehead, uh, who who actually have been playing huge roles. It may be true, it may not be true, but there is a perception out there, and I would. You know, as a KPK, I would look at the risk of that and manage that risk. Um, well, that was the last question, right? I just say you've got a, a very interesting job, and I think you're, you are doing a great job, and it's great that you're looking forward. So good luck with the cover car. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just to close, it's been an amazing turnout, and, you know, it's been just such a great opportunity um, thank you to the Jakarta Development Network to give us this platform to, to actually talk about why communications is important. Because I think if we get it right, 
there's, you know, the world's our oyster. There's so much that we can achieve. And as Patrick explained, it is simple, you know. If you follow these steps, if you measure everything, um, we can do a lot. Um, and finally, just to say thanks again to Nadia and her team from uh, AsiaWorks Media for capturing this event. So the video will hopefully be available soon online. Um, if you want to share with any of your colleagues, especially those who you work with and you have to get on your side for communications and convince them why it's important. Um, but if you have any questions about video, because we didn't get a chance to really talk about video, but that is really important. It's an important medium, especially online. Nadia's your girl and she's just over there. I'll leave it to you, Tom. Yeah, let's get another round of applause for Patrick Beck and Ong. And thank you to Nadia and her team, AsiaWorks. I think that the video from tonight will be up soon on some sort of platform, so we can look forward to that. Um, yeah, and thank you to you guys for coming. It's uh, great to see some familiar faces, but also some new ones. I think we're growing every month, so please follow us on uh, social media. Yeah, as, as we said, we've got a new Twitter. It's, the handle is JackDevNetwork, so check that one out. But anyway, thank you so much, and we'll see you again next month.